Welcome to The Gradebook, a Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. It's September 29th, and I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. This week, there have been a lot of things that have been going on in Florida education, and we're going to focus on one that's been really in the public eye, and one that sort of hasn't been because it was for so long, and then just kind of slid away for most of us, but not all of us. First, I'm going to talk with Pasco County School District Assistant Superintendent Kevin Shibley about the whole issue of students taking a knee during the Pledge of Allegiance and the National Anthem. The Pasco County School District faced a very high-profile case of a six-year-old who took a knee during his class pledge to the flag, and the story went viral because the mom was tired of taking the way that she felt her son was treated, but it raised a larger issue for the school district of how do we respond to these kinds of activities. Kevin Shibley sent out an email to first the staff and then to parents explaining what's going on and how the district is going to deal with those situations, and we'll talk with him about that. Then we're going to turn our attention to an issue that has been less paid attention to because Hurricane Irma has gone for most of us. But for Harry Russell at Sugarloaf School, It's still an ongoing occurrence. His students have yet to come back to his school, which which was right at the heart of the hurricane. And he has taken the time now to turn his school into something more than just a school. He's trying to make sure that the community has the services that it needs so that it comes back, knowing that the school has got a really important role to play in Big Pine Key. Let's take a listen to the two interviews now. Well, Kevin Shibley, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me about... Take a knee. How, how's everything going today? Absolutely. Going well. Going well. I imagine you've kept very busy trying to deal with some of the fallout. I saw that this story of the mom talking about how the, her son was treated in school was went pretty viral. Uh, yeah, I definitely saw the coverage um, from ABC News, and I think the Times actually did a follow-up um, yesterday, and so I saw that as well. Um, so yes, we definitely saw that, that that issue got some coverage. Were you surprised at all by the way that things spun out? Because you sent out some really interesting memo to the staff, but it came after this happened. But the football situation was happening over the weekend. I mean, it seemed like maybe you might have thought to do something first. Oh, absolutely. In hindsight, you know, it is definitely always easier to play Monday morning quarterback. But, you know, obviously in hindsight, um, I definitely – would have wanted to have gotten that out on Sunday evening or, or Monday morning. Um, obviously, we did not expect to have um, an issue of that nature occur in the district so quickly um, in, the, in the wake of those events. But in the same breath, it doesn't surprise me um, that there, there was, um, you know, a, a student demonstration uh, at that point. So let's talk about what you're actually telling the staff to do and not to do, because... When I talked to some of these experts on First Amendment rights, student rights, they talked about, you know, taking a knee as being a a counter speech as opposed to, you know, a counter demonstration as opposed to just simply not participating in something. What, What are you telling the staff about, you know, a kid who takes a knee 
and and why? Well, I mean, at this point, Jeff, our our focus really is um, to make sure that that the, that the daily focus in our school stays on you know, providing that K-12 education to kids. And so we're really asking staff not to um, instigate or initiate confrontation with kids um, if they choose to, um, you know, silently um, refrain from participating in the Pledge of Allegiance or the National Anthem. And so um, we're definitely suggesting that they comply with state law, which is that once a student uh, indicates that they are not interested in participating in, in those patriotic exercises, um, that administration reach out to the parent um, and uh, kind of educate them on what state law requires and ask them for that written documentation supporting their child's decision not to participate. So you're not treating it as something that needs to be punished? At this point, we're, we're really not. I mean, again, I think there are, um, there are opportunities for us um, to, to move forward with that situation without causing confrontation in a classroom in front of students, causing confrontation with parents, um, you know, finding a way to meet the expectations of state law, um, you know, without turning the district into a battlefield where this issue is going to be litigated. Now, the state law suggests that school districts are allowed to adopt a policy like this. It doesn't require them to do anything. Is there a reason why the district has this policy and has the requirement of a written permission slip, basically, to not participate? Well, our policy essentially mirrors um, state law for the most part. I do believe that our policy does not include um, the language that is in state law relative to required um, standing for the national anthem, but I do believe when it comes to the Pledge of Allegiance, our policy is is uh, pretty much in lockstep with um, what is in state law. But the state law just allows districts to do it. It doesn't make them do it. So I was just wondering if there was a reason why you need to be taking that extra step. And Jeff, I just think that that's a step that has been in place for a long time, and so um, we're just continuing with that with that step. Um, as, it's, as it has been in policy um, and not trying to, I don't want to say overreact, but, you know, create a knee-jerk reaction to a specific situation um, and, and just kind of hold into the policy the way that it is right now. The other side of the equation is the way that the teachers react, like you, like you pointed out. And, and what happens if you have a teacher who suggests to a student that, you know, a good citizen is one who stands for the pledge, who kind of takes that extra step to try and convince them. And I don't want to use the word coercion, but that's the word that some of the lawyers that I talked to use. If, if it's done in a certain way, how do you train teachers to avoid overstepping their boundaries? Well, and part of what I think you saw in the communication that went out to the administrators was um, the suggestion that they find the appropriate venue to have these discussions or pass along that information to teachers. Um, and, and I think part of what we described was that there is obviously no issue um, with teachers sharing with students what the expectation is in law. Um, and, and I think making that explanation is definitely appropriate. I think once you go beyond that and engage in a situation where you're attempting to convince um, a student or a parent that their point of view is not appropriate or accurate, that's probably when you enter that point um, that, that could be considered to be coercion or an attempt to, to influence them counter to the policy or, or state law. And, and you, provi you provide extra training to teachers then to make sure that they understand the difference? Well, and that's part of what went out with the communication we sent to administrators earlier this week is that they, they 
they engage their staff in some way um, to have those conversations at the, at the facility level, it would be almost impossible to train our teachers to handle every possible specific situation or scenario that they might be presented with. So in general, I think the training we give teachers is use common sense, use good judgment, and when all else fails, if you're not sure what to do, stop and ask an administrator. If you're not dealing with a pending situation um, where there's bodily harm or physical injury or some, some serious um, situation that requires a teacher's immediate intervention, there's nothing that, that um, would, would stop a teacher from consulting an administrator and then deciding what to do after that point in time. I have to say that the reaction that we've gotten to this story since it came out has been a lot of people saying, I never thought it would come to this. This is crazy. Did you ever think that the school district would wind up having to send out a memo to staff talking about these kinds of issues and dealing with the, the blowout that this story has become? Jeff, we've had some situations like this in the past. I remember a couple of years ago we had a very similar situation um, dealing with students bringing Confederate flags onto campus. So I, I think it occurs every couple of years. Um, so did I anticipate that we were going to have this issue so quickly? No, but in hindsight, am I surprised that we had um, a situation? I'm not surprised either. So um, it was something that I, I, as I said earlier, I guess in hindsight, I wish I had foreseen um, and gotten some guidance out sooner. But at the same time, I'm not surprised that, that we ended up needing to send something out. So what's your advice to other school districts before they run into a problem? Do you have any words of wisdom for them? You know, Jeff, I'm really not sure, and, and we're kind of dealing with that situation here in the district. I think there's, um, you know, even small, small pockets of, of, of um, you know, differing opinions within Pasco County. Uh, you know, what, what might be common sense for Zephyr Hills may not be common sense for Newport Ritchie, may not be uh, common sense for Dade City. And so um, I think the, the biggest piece is um, you need to know your constituency, you need to know the, the population of the folks that you're serving, and you need to make the decisions that um, you think are most reflective of those populations while still um, doing what you need to do to uphold your board's policy and state law. Well, Kevin, I really appreciate you talking with me about this. This is, this is really helpful. All right. Thank you, Jeff. And now, like I said, we're going to shift gears and turn to the keys where we speak with Harry Russell, the principal of Sugarloaf School. So, um, Mr. Russell, I really appreciate you taking the time from your very busy schedule to come and talk with me today. My pleasure. I'm glad you invited me to spend time with you today. Tell me a little bit about your school and the community that it serves, and, and then also what you saw during the storm. Okay, well, Sugarloaf School is located on Sugarloaf Key with about mile marker 19 and a half. Of course, Key West would be mile marker zero. Um, and we're a school of about 625 students before the hurricane. Um, we anticipate, unfortunately, with so much of the, the devastation down here that we will definitely lose some students and families to relocation. Um, and we are an A-rated school. Um, to you know, the Department of Education Accountability System, which we're very proud of, and um, just amazing school. Well, the eye of Hurricane Irma went right over our school. So the surrounding communities just north of here, um, Kajo Key, Summerlin Key, Big Pine Key, and even up in the Marathon, really took the brunt of a Category 4 hurricane. And to get out in some of the surrounding communities, is you almost can't even describe it. So did the school itself 
sustain a lot of damage? Is it hard to get back into shape for whoever comes back? We we had we organized um, day before yesterday a um, campus cleanup day. Um, we had our school itself has um, minor damage. A lot of the gutters, some of our um, covered walkways got tore up, um, and we have some roof damage as far as a lot of water leaks right now. Um, so ceiling tiles are definitely missing in some in some spots in the classrooms, but. You know, that stuff will get repaired, obviously, over time. But a lot of the vegetation, a lot of trees were down. So we, we organized a campus cleanup day, and I had at least, I would say, 100 parents and students here, if not more, chainsaws. And uh, while, while we were celebrating Donuts with Dads and things like that around the state, you know, we had the uh, initiative in the state, Bring Your Dad to Work Day. I jokingly said it was Bring Your Dad and Chainsaw to School Day. And um, long story short, our landscaping company called Brightview out of Miami was here with um, two or three big trucks and chippers and their their crew and chainsaws and uh, GCA, our custodian company. And with all that manpower, probably in about four hours, um, our campus transformed from an area of, you know, destruction to looking ready to go to start school on Monday. And it was just um, so grateful for uh, the amount of people that were able to come out and help us out. It was awesome. And you have power and water and all the other things that you need in order to try and become more normal again? Yes, we have power. Um, we got power pretty quick here. Um, water the same. Uh, no more boil water orders are in effect and sewers working fine. Um, you know, that's a tribute to all the electrical companies that came down here to work with our own local company and uh, to get power restored as quickly as possible. And we're almost back in the keys at 100%. We still got some areas that, you know, will get turned on sooner than later. But um, overall, the utility companies, you know, just did an amazing job. So then why do you think that families won't be returning? Well, when I about two days ago, um, I took uh, some Red Cross supplies myself and another staff member here. We loaded up our trucks with um, non-perishable food items, and Red Cross has these white buckets that are filled with, like, cleaning-type supplies. And we went up to Big Pine Key into the avenues. And what I will tell you is I've never in my life, I've lived in the Keys all my life, been through a lot of hurricanes, and I've never seen destruction like I saw in my own eyes. Um, they have been wiped out like you can't even imagine. I describe it as going to the Grand Canyon. If you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, you know what I mean, because you can see pictures, you can see video of it. But then when you get there, it's weird. You, you almost can't even describe what you're seeing. And that's kind of how I describe what I saw in Big Pikey. I mean, it, it really just broke my heart at the amount of devastation uh, in that community. So when I'm driving around, for example, and I see a family, a grandmother and two of my students and their trailer is gone and they're sleeping in a tent and they had no water. They had no sewer. You know, that stuff is really sad to me. Now FEMA's working their butts off to provide short term housing, which is our biggest challenge right now in the Keys is temporary housing until the FEMA trailers arrive, you know, and, and wave so we can get people more in you know, a little bit longer term housing until they can rebuild their home or trailer or whatever they lost. So the school then plays a really important role in your community, it sounds like. And uh, abs absolutely. The, the normalcy part, getting kids back in school so parents can not only go back to work, but also have time to focus on, you know, picking up the pieces of their own life, their own yards and, and um, all, the, all the things they need to do, working with insurance companies and things like that to get back up on their feet. So I understand that you are doing some things beyond just academics and beyond just you know, normal school stuff in order to make sure that you can encourage as many families to come back and show them that there's something to come back to. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, 
have um, our part of our campus was we rebuilt back in 98. How ironically, and during that construction process, Hurricane George pushed through here and ripped the roofs off the campus. So the campus didn't open up until 2000. But as a result, we have a brand new cafeteria. Well, our old cafeteria is still on campus here and it really doesn't get used much. Long story short, we converted that into a distribution center. And if I sent you a picture right now, and showed you what that looked like. It almost looks like a little Publix. I mean, we have non-perishable food items, canned goods. We have cleaning supplies, clothing for the kids, school supplies. I mean, it's it's ready to go. And I just notified the rest of the principals in our school district that's starting probably next Tuesday. Any kid, I don't care where they're at in the Keys, if they need something, they need to just let us know. And we'll work with our PTOs and our, our SACs up and down the Keys, and we'll make sure the kids get whatever they need. We, we really um, want to do everything we can to help. How are you able to focus on all that when you – must have stayed there and and endured the storm yourself. I did not. I evacuated. I, I heeded the advice of of the powers to be, and I evacuated with my family. And um, we um, was gone for a total of about 14 days. And then, of course, we came back and started going to work right away. Well, it sounds like you've been able to focus a lot on that. I hope that that means that you didn't endure too much damage for your own self. No, my, I happened to have a house in Key West, and we were very lucky down there because I think sustained winds down there were about 95 miles an hour. Being on the left-hand side of the eye, you know, makes a difference. And um, so we were, we were very lucky. You know, the storm, they, they jog and move around. If it goes a little bit more, I guess, to the, to the west, then it's a different conversation you and I might be having. So basically then your, your home got on the, the right side of the storm, but your school got socked and the communities exactly. that it serves. Correct. That's very true. And, you know, I was lucky because my, my area in Key West is prone to flooding and I was worried about a storm surge. And when I came home, the water line, when I looked at it around my house and my fence was about an inch away from going into my front door. So I told my wife, I said, that was God's way of saying to me, your house is spared. Now you can focus on helping others and not have to worry about your own, your own home and trying to do the school thing. So, you know, I'm very, very blessed and fortunate, you know, compared to what others are having to go through right now. If there are other people out in the state who want to still help you, is there anything that they can do? Yes, there, I've been contacted by literally schools and entities all over this country. And, you know, it's, it's amazing because in times of such divisiveness and, and some of the, I guess, negative, you know, stuff that's going on in our country, it's, it's free. I guess energized me to know that there are a lot of amazing, wonderful people in our country that want to help in times like this. But yeah, we, I have been contacted. It, probably more states have, have been checked off on my support help list than not. You know, it's just been overwhelming with the amount of support, both in state of Florida and outside of the state of Florida. What kinds of things would you need at this point? It sounds like you said, like you said, you have a, a mini Publix in your old cafeteria. We we are at our school. We are we do we have kids pre K, which for four years old, all the way up to say 15 years old. So I've been telling people anything that would support a kid age four to 15 um, would definitely be helpful. Some of the folks out, that are out of town, I'm, I'm encouraging them to do monetary fundraising and then to get them to adopt a specific uh, staff member a specific child or a specific classroom so they know very specifically how their money would be utilized, you know, in the future. And that seems to be going over very well. I know, for example, uh, one of my teachers and her husband, they have three children, uh, sixth grade, third grade, and uh, K. They took about a four-foot storm surge right through their house in Big Pine Key. So they don't have nothing. So we're trying to get them partnered up with people that want to do fundraisers and um, 
do everything we can to help them out because, you know, even with insurances, you know, it's, it's at least a year by the time you're able to, to get everything rebuilt. So it, it's, it's, it's total being, it's totally being displaced as a family and, you know, they're together and, and they're going to be okay probably in the end, but, but it's, it's shocking. It's trauma. You know, you can just imagine anybody could imagine coming home tomorrow and, and your house and all your possessions, they're just gone. And that's that's just traumatic for people to, to cope and deal with, and it's very overwhelming. So how do you get your school ready for that first day back, knowing about the trauma part? Because, I mean, getting the building ready sounds like the easy part at this point. <laughs> correct. You're, you're 100% correct. It's the mental psyche of people. And I'll give you an example. Yesterday, our faculty and staff returned back yesterday. We were about 95%. I had still a handful of people that, you know, again, were hit pretty hard, so they're still dealing with house stuff. Um, but at the beginning of the faculty meeting, I shared a quick story with them to kind of break the ice a little bit. And, um, you know, I said to them, Sheridan Technical College out of Broward County contacted me, and they wanted to deliver all these first aid kits. I said, sure, we'll take them. Well, they showed up. It was a, uh, a semi-truck, and I look at my office manager and I said, oh, my God, I don't think we have room for a semi-truck full of pallets of first aid kits. And then behind the semi-truck, there's a big box truck. Behind that box truck, there's a second semi-truck, then a third semi-truck, a fourth semi-truck, six semi-trucks. So I'm like, this, I tell the guy, there's no way we can take all this. There's no way. And he says, well, I have good news for you. There's only one pallet. He says, we're a technical college. All of these guys and gals driving these trucks are all training to become truck drivers. They need a thousand, <laughs> they need, they need a thousand hours to get their certification. So we came down in a convoy and, you know, delivering this to you, but also know they're getting what they need as well. So it was, it was like one of those, thank you for making me smile and laugh because I, I kind of needed it at that point in time. But, you know, again, an example of others reaching out wanting to help. And, um, so, but yeah, but, but part, part two is, you know, seeing the staff come back together in the media center yesterday and hugging each other and being able, I gave them time to share their story if they wanted to. And all of that's part of the healing process. And we'll do the same thing with our students and they'll have time to talk about their experiences and, um, we'll support them. We have wonderful counselors and, and people like that on staff to help where needed. And as we continue to identify whatever needs they have, we'll continue to work hard to provide. You know, it's all saying food, clothing, shelter. If you don't have those things met, learning becomes secondary at that point. So we're going to work hard to try to solidify some of that for our kids. Well, I really appreciate you talking with me, and I, I wish you the best of luck on your first day back, which is what, Tuesday? Did you say? Uh, Monday, 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 the 2nd, October 2nd. Well, good luck, and I hope that everything goes well for you and for all your, your community. Uh, and listen, I really appreciate you taking the time to cover the story and if you ever want to reach back out in the future and do like an update or see how things are going, I welcome that. And, um, you know, thank you. And, and I would not be remiss in saying our school district as a whole, you know, kudos to them. Our superintendent has been fantastic in this whole process. Our maintenance department, they've been fantastic as well. And uh, I had to make sure I plugged them because they really have been great. And I thank you. Great. We'll talk again soon then. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's the end of our podcast. If you want to participate in any of these conversations, please visit our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Times Gradebook. You can always follow our breaking news on our blog, tampabay.com gradebook. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek, and thanks again for listening.